So today we're going to start off in Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 11. We have uh, four passages of text that I want us to look at today. But we're not going to linger too long in each of them. All of them, there's a, like, there's, there's a particular thing that I want us to look at and consider when we hit the text. Um, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'll, here's what I'll do. I'll go ahead and kind of point out some of the things um, as we get into each one that I want you to take away, and then we'll look at the text um, and, and, and kind of... Uh, hopefully that will help us speed along. So um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in John chapter 14. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, just the first chapter, just a few verses. And then we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 <clears throat> to kind of uh, round out this class today. So what I want us to consider today as we're considering the end. So um, in the systematic theology book, we would be entering into um, the sections of the book that deal with eschatology or the study of the end. So if you hear me refer to uh, eschatology, that's what we're exploring today. Um, we're exploring um, the Christian doctrine of how we view the end. Um, now, when I consider this, um, I don't just consider this to be the end. I consider this to be a, a culminating point in history that is a great beginning. Um, but when we speak about the end, what we are speaking about is the end of this phase of history. Um, the time when Christ returns, when he ushers in completely and fully um, his kingdom, when uh, judgment will come upon sin, and um, when those that he, have, he has drawn to himself, he will finally and fully complete um, all aspects of their salvation. Uh, if they find themselves in the grave on his return, they will be uh, raised to new life if we find ourselves uh, here working and serving when he returns. Uh, we will be transformed uh, and given resurrection bodies like Christ. So um, we've, spent, we've spent time in the past, and I have at great length spent effort in trying to point out the reality of a of a Savior that has been resurrected in the way that we claim Christ has. So we're not going to spend too much time uh, here in this, in this kind of um, last part of the systematic theology study uh, reiterating that. Um, I'm certain at given opportunities in the future preaching, um, I, I love the thought of Christ raised and considering what that means for our hope and the way that we think about eternity. Uh, so I'm sure that at some point in the future I will, I will no doubt speak at length um, on those things. Um, but say, I say that to say that I've spoken at length on them uh, in the past as well. So today I'm hoping just to be able to, uh, as we open up in Acts chapter 1 looking at verse 11, I'm hoping not to dwell too much here but to simply point 
and remind you of things that we have already looked at in the past. Um, and this is, today we're going to be looking at um, things that we, that no matter what particular view of the end you hold, there is a common central core and idea that we all hold. Um, and I want to start today off by kind of focusing on those things. And the, the thing that uh, we all hold is that there will be a point in the future when Christ returns in bodily form to call him to call the church to himself uh, there will be a great judgment on that day we will find ourselves holy in Christ if we have called on him if we believe in this truth if we've followed through in baptism if we have walked the walk and we can see in our lives the spirit of God that was given to us um, displaying his fruit in us, right? That if we if we live and breathe and walk in Christ, if our faith is placed in Him, then we will find ourselves in Him on that day of judgment as well, um, and we will find ourselves holy, not because we are holy, but because He is holy. This is a reality that no matter how you see us getting to that end, that we all agree on, and that's what I want us to focus on today. Um, next week, we will start looking at different ways in which individuals throughout the history of the church have understood those last days unfolding, um, and there we'll find, we'll find differences of opinion, and um, we'll probably, um, for the sake of context for where we find ourselves in history and just uh, culturally as a church we'll probably spend a little bit of time next week examining some historical um, realities it's one of the reasons that several years back when we started his started the historical theology study along with the systematic theology study it was for particularly for when we get to eschatology because i think that um I think that what we will find is that many of us, or potentially even today some of us, might find ourselves holding to a particular view of the end and the unfolding of those events that's only a couple hundred years old. Um, and that may seem like a long time to some, but in the uh, span of church history that should be a red flag to us. Um, that something's relatively new in church, the church's understanding of a particular doctrine that has had thoughtful men and women throughout the history of the church who have not thought that thing. If we find, and, and this would be a warning to anyone in the future who finds themselves uh, exploring a doctrine that the church has never before conceived of, um, that there is a great likelihood that if, if that is the case, if you find yourself exploring a doctrine that is new to the history of the church, um, that should be a red flag that maybe you're reading it wrong because no one else up until a certain point relatively soon has, has read into it that way. Um, so that being said, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 11, here are the things that we agree on. So here we see the ascension of Christ, and in verse 11 we read, 
Uh, actually, I may, I'm going to step back up to 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, so Christ had ascended. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Like, get to work, right? This Jesus who was, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here, one of the central things that we all agree on is that Christ will return. We're going to see a couple of different places along the way. Uh, as, we, as we go along, I'm going to go ahead and say, Christ will return, and you will not miss this event. Okay? This... His return will not be one in which some people don't realize what happened. Okay? When He returns, all eyes will see Him. This will be that moment in which you find yourself continuing as an enemy or you find that your Savior, you meet Him face to face. Right? He will return in the same manner in which he left. This is what we see here. Right? So he left in physical human form. He will return in physical human form. You will lay eyes on Jesus. This is not some hyper-spiritualized future hope that we have that we cannot conceive of what it might look like, it will look like a man, and that man is Jesus. You will see Him. If you find yourself thinking about what the end might look like, and first in your mind is not laying eyes on Him, then you are in error. There is no easier way no more plain way for me to say it. If your end, if the way that you see that end has nothing to do with seeing Him, you do not understand what the end looks like. Right? If you do not envision an end, so Jesus here spending time with his disciples, talking with them, fellowship with, the, with them, living life with them, and he ascends, and he's going to return in the same way that he left. If your vision of the end doesn't look like you walking, talking, like fellowshipping with him, with other believers, then your understanding of the end is misplaced. It's misguided. This is a real physical reality that we're looking forward to. I cannot say that enough. When you, like, and I don't, I don't want to dwell too much here, like I said, because I want us to finish, I want us to finish this, but it bears saying that as we grow older and as those we grow we grow older with find these bodies decaying and breaking down sometimes sooner than we would like them to we have a hope 
in a Savior that defeated all of this. And in the end, that reality will be made true for us. When we embrace Him, when He kisses us on the cheek, when we hear what His voice sounds like, ye ears, if ye have ears, let them hear. What must that voice sound like? You will hear it. This is the end. But it is also a beautiful beginning. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's promised us this. Let's let's go to First uh, Thessalonians. Let's look in chapter four. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse thirteen. Again, this is a hope that no matter how you see us getting there, this is a common hope that all views lead to, all right views, all views that could be seen from the text lead here. But we, so I'm going to be starting reading in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That day will not be a day where you miss it. That day where the dead in Christ rise. The world will not miss His return. When the King returns triumphant, there will be no doubt who the victor is. No doubt who the victor is in the end. And we have a great hope in this for those, like, consider that you grieve when those that you love pass away in Christ. Yet you do not grieve as others do because you have a hope that is fixed in this end. That Christ will return. That death is not the end. That, that death has not 
final word over you, believer. Christ has that final word. And when He returns with cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, just as Lazarus, when called forth, had no other option but get up and come out, your body, whether devoured by dogs, whether burnt on stakes, whether placed in shallow graves, whether tossed away as though it was nothing, or whether you were placed in a grave by your loved ones where they can come visit you, the God who created the universe is perfectly capable of raising for you a body like His on that day. Let, let the enemy do what the enemy will do with our bodies. It will only make it more spectacular on that day. Only make it more spectacular. Uh, I, I, I'm going to give a, 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 a... I think this is funny. So, Dad and his siblings, when they buried uh, my grandmother, my nanny, um, they have like... <laughs> entombed her <laughs> in like a several inch to maybe several feet thick uh, slab of concrete <laughs> sanctuary <laughs> tomb some, something like this is a, she is in a Walker County tomb <laughs> of like <laughs> unprecedented proportions <laughs> When he calls her home, <laughs> when he calls her up from that grave, oh, to see the sight of the concrete exploding, <laughs> as there will not be this moment where she wakes and she finds herself encased in something in which she's like, Lord Jesus, don't leave me here. <laughs> On that day, this, the, the visual impact of that reality, let it not like pass us as we consider this, that when He comes, you will be raised. You will join Him, never to be separated from Him again. He's coming for you. He won't miss you when He comes. And the world, when they see His coming, will be struck with joy if they find themselves aligned with this King and great terror otherwise. Then, those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet 
the Lord in the air. And so, and I, I consider this, and as I consider this, like the visual that comes to my mind is that of a people going out side the gates of their kingdom, ushering in the victorious king as he is returned with the spoils of victory. This is the visual that I see on this day. That there will be none waiting behind. None like, no, let him come. Let the, like, you cannot stop me from rushing out to him when I see him returning in victory. This is the picture that we ought to have when we see him. When we visualize him coming in the clouds to meet us. Like, to call us to be with him. And when he does... We will always be with the Lord. I pray, as verse 18 says here, that that these words might be an encouragement uh, to you when you consider when you consider the end and what that end uh, looks like. And again, when I consider that end, I see that end as the end of one thing, but the beginning of the rest of eternity. So this is not just the end, but it is uh, likewise a great beginning. And what a way, what a way to kick off uh, the rest of eternity. But this resurrection day, uh, we, will, we will never cease to speak of the amazement of that day for all of eternity. There will be much that we will be able to rejoice in. Um, this reality is is one of those one of those things. Turn with me now to John chapter fourteen. We're going to look in John chapter fourteen at verse three. Again, today we are talking about things that no matter which particular view of the end you might hold, these are common truths that we all hold to. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I might come again, may take you to myself, How does the text read here? What type of promise is he making for us in this text? The same promise that he said, I will come again. I will. I will. I will. Take you. I will. Yes. So we should have a rock solid understanding of of the end that that day will come there will be a moment where we are going about life as usual and the next every course of action that we consider what we would have been doing will be shifted in such a way that we cannot 
even fathom what will come next. But we can be certain that it will come. Because the one who conquered death is the one who makes this promise. Another thing that we should consider here is that while he is gone, so right now, right now, in this moment, and this is, this is going to be one of those places where we're not going to get into the differences of, of the way that you could think about this and understand this, but what we should all agree on is that Christ is active now in preparing for us this reality. And if I go and prepare a place for you, He is gone from us now preparing this reality. There's different ways that you could think about this, but the one, the one thing that we can all agree on when we consider this text is that Christ is active in this work. And He's preparing a place for us, a place like we could never have prepared on our own, a place that we could, in, in a million generations, uh, never have fathomed uh, in all the greatest minds of those generations, the beauties that he has prepared for us. The things that we will see, the things that we will experience, will be things that are being prepared even today by the hands of the one who's redeemed us for himself. And if he's going to go and do all this work of preparation... We can be certain that he will come again. And when he does, he's going to take us to himself. That where he is, he says that where I am, you may also, you may be also. So another thing, confident hope that we should all have when we consider the end is that it is as certain as the one who makes the promise. Christ made the promise. So when we hope in this end, we're ultimately hoping in the one who made the promise for this end. Our hope rests in Christ. And He will come again. And He will take us to Himself. We will be with Christ. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We're really doing really good on time today. Um, we will... We're doing good on time. Okay. So I was thinking... We're doing really good on time. No, <laughs> No, no, it's good, please. Um, I was thinking, like, okay, yes, Jesus, come, like, come before tomorrow. Not, you know, a secret long frustration. But then I started thinking about silence. Mm -hmm. So that, and I'm like, yes, Jesus, I want you to come. And then I start thinking about my four-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, and my normal, typical response in my head is like, I don't 
He is a supernatural God. Yeah. Like he can do anything in the heart of man, and you know. But I don't know. I just think about that. Like, yes, Jesus, come right now. I don't have to live through this next week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think about my four-year-old. Yeah, I think one of the one of the crazy there's there's a couple of places in the systematic theology book the chapter that we would be that you would be referencing when you come back here there's a couple of crazy crazy not in a bad way but crazy in like a like when we think about it it's it 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 catches off guard one because it's like we should realize this this is a piece of information that shouldn't be new like if 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 i say to you that he he there's going to be a day that things are going along as normal and then there's a day that's the a moment where that all changes then like sh- would it surprise you if it happened today right would it would it surprise you if it happened today um another another um great hope that we have like for children right because i think that's like the heart of it is like we have those that we love that um i don't know we've still got plenty of time that the, <laughs> the bell's always early um we have a heart for those that we love and we want them to know him so does he so does he um, when it comes to those who will find themselves enemies of him on that day um, that's the thing that that's the thing that's hard because some of those enemies we fear may be those that we love, right? And we know that like from the womb we have this um, sinful bend in our nature, right? Um, from before time began, he had a righteous, holy, good, kind, generous loving bend to his we were his each and every one of us were his before our parents even considered our existence and he worked and spared no expense to get us right like all history has been shaped and formed as God has been working through that history to bring His people to Himself. He loves my kids more than me and yours more than you. And I rest, when I think about that moment, that instantaneous moment, that's where I think. That's where I think. And it's also one of those things that as we consider these things, there should be an urgency in us. Like this, we should, as, as we see in the last verses of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, that should be our heart. And we should be working to align those places to where we see the kingdom of heaven is not yet here. Right? It's not here in the hearts of some adults. It's not here in the hearts of some children. If you've been raising your children faithfully as you have, you can still say, come Lord Jesus. Because He's not going to come before His bride has been brought to Him. Right? He's he's working for them. And when that work is complete, 
then he will come and call them home. Right? This is, this is the same thing that calls missionaries to go to places where the word has not reached yet because there are those who are enemies today who the gospel has the power to transform into sons and daughters. So this looking, this faithfully hoping for the end does not cause us to like set aside and do nothing. But when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, knowing that ultimately that reality comes true when he steps back through those clouds. We know that we are working today to usher in that kingdom. We are working to those ends. We don't just pray it and then sit around and do nothing. Right? But His Spirit calls up within us to go and do and serve. So, Revelation chapter 1, verse... I'm going to start reading in verse 4, and I'm going to go through verse 8. To John, or John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, Amen. That day will not be missed. The day of His return is not one that will pass some by unaware. When He comes in the clouds, every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. This is His enemies, right? And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Again, this day will not go by unnoticed. Let's go now to Matthew chapter 24, and we will be finishing this section up with this verse. So Matthew chapter 24, uh, we'll be looking at verse 44. So Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an, at an hour you do not expect. As we consider this end, as we consider the reality of Jesus Christ one day stepping back through those clouds, 
coming to get his bride, what end should that drive us towards? Should it drive us towards an end where we disengage? If you thought that he was coming today, how would you live? How would you act? What would you do? If you thought that he was coming in three months, if you thought that he was coming in a year, would you sell all your goods and just travel the world because you know you're not going to need them in a year? Here's what I would say. Reflect on the way that the early church lived. When we consider this reality, they lived as though he was going to return in their lifetimes. They preached the gospel as though he was going to return in their lifetimes. They did not know the day. They did not know the hour. They knew it was imminent, that that day was upon them. They realized that there were those who were enemies of him. that would be sons and daughters. This reality, this knowing that this end will come, ought to never, and it has, like, when considered rightly, the eschatology of the church, the way that the church has understood the end, when understood rightly, has never stirred up a heart to disengage from the battle. Never. Our understanding of what the end, ultimately, what we will see on that day when we lay eyes on Him, should not cause us today to grow lazy. We shouldn't be like, well, the end's coming no matter what, so I'll just sit by and engage in no way in the world because this world's not for me. Right? That's never been the attitude that the church has had as it's understood this imminent return of the king. Therefore, you also must be ready when we consider this truth that he is going to return that the end is near, that He is coming soon. Be ready. Be ready. Live your life like He's coming soon. Live your life like He's coming soon, because He is. And in a moment, in a moment, what was for you a normal day, will change into something absolutely abnormal. (laughs) And every day from then will be something spectacularly new. So be ready. Be ready. Because He is coming. And He is coming very, very soon. We will end there. And next week, we will start looking at a few different historical understandings of the way that uh, different people throughout the history of the church, um, from the early church to today, have thought about the events leading up 
to his return um, and what that might look like. So we're going to explore that a little bit. Um, I will go ahead and say that next week we will probably, don't hold me to this, but this is at least where I'm leaning right now, we will probably start looking at the pre-tribulation rapture, like dispensationalist view of the end. Uh, We'll probably spend a very little amount of time there. Um, This is the view that is new to history. The idea that the church, like, escapes out of tribulation is new to history. Uh, I would also say that it's new to history because likely there's not been a good time in history up until the last couple of hundred years where you could find a region of the world that was uh, safe enough that you could consider the idea that you might escape, right? Um, Most of the world even today finds themselves not in a place where they feel like they're going to escape tribulation, but they probably find themselves in the midst of it. And it's hard to have that dispensationalist view of the end um, when you find yourself in what would seem to be a great tribulation now. right? Uh, So there's two practical reasons that that I'm going to kind of lay out next week. One, historically, and then um, two, just practically, it hasn't, that's not been a view that could have been held for the large majority of the history of the church. Um, and then we'll look at three historical views that find their, find their origins tracing back all the way to uh, the early church. Um, so we'll do that, we'll do that next week.